flashing fawn color. He stepped out of the coach and stood for a moment at the head of the fold-down steps with a battered valise clutched in long, thin fingers. It was hard to tell with him being so pale anyway, but I believe his knuckles were white from holding the grip of that valise so tight. He came into view and paused there, and all conversation on the platform quit. Just like that. Quit cold, and all eyes were on that boy. He swallowed hard, and his shoulders dipped a little. Not much. I would have been willing right then and there to wager that he was wanting to duck back inside that railroad coach and was keeping himself out there on public inspection only by a powerful force of will. His Adam's apple bobbed, too, but I didn't think it was with a drummer's thirst. The kid squared his shoulders and hiked his chin into the air and drew himself up to all six-two or so of his frame and stepped down to the platform level. The loafers and the sightseers and the curious who were gathered there, me among them, remembered their manners and turned to whoever was nearest and began talking again, sneaking sideways glances at the kid but trying not to stare. But I'll bet an awful lot of fellows suffered eye strain that night from trying to peer out the corners of their eyes. And to give credit where it was due, there was not a single outright out loud snicker or laugh heard on that platform. Not right off there wasn't, anyway. Not while he was still there. The youngster, I guessed his age at something like eighteen or nineteen, looked around him and seemed a bit confused. I don't know what he expected, but what he saw was an ordinary small town and a bunch of men in ordinary clothes, most wearing suits and vests and ties, and a few of the loafers being so lazy and shiftless that they left off their ties and collars. I don't know what anyone else could have expected, unless, of course, this boy came from a farming community, which war cry is not. They tell me farmers will go into town wearing their coveralls and work boots, which I would think would be a mighty slovenly way to be. Of course, that is just what I have been told, and I guess even a cowman is prone to exaggeration from time to time. Anyway, the kid looked kind of confused in addition to looking so out of place. He turned to the nearest fellow, I disremember who, and asked something of him and got some finger-pointing directions toward the center of town. He clumped away, having to sort of bow his legs so he could walk with all that wool between his knees, his valise bumping against the snowy slopes of those chaps. We all stood in an amazed and respectful silence and watched him out of sight. "'Now there goes a boy of rare and glorious courage,' I told Handy Cawthorn, who was standing near me at the time. "'Do you think he could be a front man for some circus group or traveling show?' "'I haven't heard of any coming here, you?' Andy swung his head from side to side. "'And he didn't have much baggage. You'd think a front man would be loaded down with posters and stuff.' I shrugged and put the kid out of mind. "'It doesn't concern me anyhow,' I said, "'which just goes to show how wrong a fellow can be at times. "'And I have work to do. I'll see you tonight at the bullshooter.' "'Most likely.' I made my way back to Wigan's store, where our heavy wagon was parked at the loading dock. Nothing had been added since I left, but then I hadn't expected anything to be. Wiggins and both his helpers had been on the platform, too, and there was no big hurry about the loading. We had all day to do it, as I wouldn't hitch the team to start home until morning. That way I could stay another night in town instead of stopping at the Barton place, where the folks are friendly enough— I'm not complaining about that, mind, 
But any more, the babble and yammer of all those kids just sort of gets to me and makes me nervous and irritable so that food doesn't sit right in my stomach. I sat and smoked my pipe and watched while they loaded the hogsheads of wheat flour and kegs of sugar and molasses and hundred-pound sacks of dried beans and potatoes and onions and the crates of canned milk and canned fruits and sacked-up sides of smoked bacon and the five-gallon tin of coal oil and all the things that we would need. It was all checked off the list and the tarp lashed in place by the middle of the afternoon, which left me with some free time. So I sat on the dock and smoked and soaked up some sunshine, as it was still early enough in the spring for that warmth to feel good in my bones. And I don't believe I once thought about the kid the whole afternoon. I had a light supper at Elsie's and went back to the hotel so I could change to a clean shirt and shave, which I prefer to do in the evening.